Have you ever been in conflict? How should we respond when conflict occurs in the home, at work, or in our church? And why is forgiveness such an important part of the process of reconciliation? Join us today as I interview Reverend Dr. Mark Rockenbach of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, on resolving conflict in today's world. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Dr. Rockenbach serves as the Associate Professor of Practical Theology and the Advisor on Personal Growth and Leadership Development at Concordia Seminary, St. Louis, Missouri. Thanks, Dr. Rockenbach, for being my guest today. It's great to be here. Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to talk about reconciliation today. But before we do, tell us a little bit about your family, if you will. Sure. My wife teaches uh, kindergarten, and she's uh, she does so in a Lutheran school. And then we have three children. I have two boys and one girl, and two of them are in uh, Lutheran school right now. One is in public school, and they keep me very busy with all their activities. So I it's a it's do. a joy having kids. That's fantastic. And also tell our listeners a little bit about some of your experience in dealing with conflict and reconciliation. Well, actually, my experience started with my first congregation that actually was in conflict when I arrived. And so I needed to figure out very quickly how to be able to to deal with that. So um, I got hooked up with an organization called Ambassadors of Reconciliation, uh, learned a lot about conflict and learned a lot about reconciliation. And then um, after I had that experience in the parish, then uh, I was at the district office. And there I did um, a lot of work in reconciliation. So congregations who were in conflict, I would go in and do coaching and mediation with them to help them reconcile and resolve their issues. So I did that for eight years. And my wife always says, who would want to go into a place where they're fighting with each other? <laughs> and, and I just loved doing that because I had the opportunity to help them and to help them see a different way of doing things and ultimately a, a way that was going to be reconciliation for them. So um, so I've had a lot of experience doing those kinds of things. And then um, now here at the seminary, having the opportunity to teach about reconciliation and still having some opportunity also to help people who are in conflict to work through those conflicts. Well, it's a big topic. Uh, and uh, I uh, want to uh, give you as much time as possible to share your experiences uh, and also to help our listeners learn about the process of reconciliation. Because I ask at the very beginning, have you ever been in conflict? And I laughed after I wrote that question. I thought, if we're alive, <laughs> we have been in conflict. Right. It's it's challenging. But uh, let's start with just a story, not with names, but just an example of a time where someone you worked with was in conflict and um, just some of the principles that you share in helping them resolve that conflict. Well, um, I also did uh, my PhD in this area. So I actually interviewed people um, about this topic. Right. And, and so I can share one of those stories with you. This particular uh, woman was her family farmed at a family farm. And um, what happened was when it came time for the will to be read of, it would be her um, husband's family the will had been changed by the older brother, and they didn't get any of the land. And so she was just very upset by this. And one of the, the pivotal moments she described to me was she was sitting outside um, uh, by her fire pit, and she was just 
ruminating and fixating upon this whole thing. She had done a lot of things to try to get the will changed or to get back at them. You know, she was very mad at them. And she said, finally, I went into the house. I got all the things that I could ever find that they ever gave me, put them in boxes. I brought it out to the fire pit and I just threw it in. And she said that was just a moment for her that she was, in a sense, it was her, she couldn't actually like kill them or do something to them, but that was her way of kind of doing that symbolically. And because of that experience, she went into depression. Mm-hmm. She was drinking a lot. Um, it had it had it had all kinds of negative impacts upon her. And so, in the psychological community, we talk about it as being a rumination. Um, or a cognitive looping. And what I've discovered is it's really unforgiveness. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to forgive them. And she was doing everything she could to try to punish them. But the reality was they could care less because they had what they wanted. And all these things she was doing was actually making it worse on her. Mm -hmm. And so she struggled then because she just was so upset and so angry about this thing that they had done to her. And that's so true. How we react to the conflict often hurts us more than the other person, doesn't it? That's right. There's a there's a great phrase. I, I don't know who this comes from, but I use this all the time in my teaching about reconciliation, that unforgiveness is the poison you drink hoping that the other person will die. Mm. And that's exactly what she was doing. She was trying to punish them or hoping they would die, but in the end it was really poisoning her And so she really wrestled with this idea of forgiveness and what that means and whether or not they could ever be reconciled. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what are the basic principles that uh, we need to think about? I guess we should start with the home since I mentioned that. Mm -hmm. Um, Conflict happens everywhere, but especially in the home. Uh, And we do need to learn to resolve it. Uh, I always think it would be easiest in the home because we love the person, but right. our, our rates of divorce show that that's not always the case. Right. So let's talk for a minute about conflict in the home and what we can do uh, to resolve conflict when it happens in the home. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a story of, I tell this story often about a conflict in my own home. And when, there's different reasons why we end up in conflict. And one of the reasons we end up in conflict is because we have a different opinion about things. So when I had, when my kids were little, um, we'd be at the, the table eating and food would drop on the floor. Well, I believe in the five-second rule, all right? <laughs> so the idea is if food drops on the floor, you have five seconds to pick it up, and it's still good to eat. You can eat it. My wife does not believe in the five-second uh-huh. rule. And so what would happen is food would drop on the floor, and I'd start counting. One, two, and the kids knew because I'd done this enough. And because they had five seconds to pick it up, they could still eat it. And my wife is yelling, no, don't listen to your father. It's bad. Throw it in the trash. And so here we were in conflict over this. And it's a, it's a small thing if you think about it, food dropping on the floor. But it was a huge issue in our house. And it affected not only my wife and myself, it affected the kids. And, of course, the kids then when they go to grandparents' house, they talk about it. Or they go to school, they talk about it. And everyone else kind of knew about this as well. Well, we ended up sinning against each other because of that. So, you know, I would say things to her. She would say things to me. I would gossip about her with my buddies. She would gossip about me with whoever. And so this incident resulted in us sinning against each other. And that wasn't good either. So what we had to do is, first of all, deal with the sin that we had committed against each other. 
And I needed to confess to her that I had not treated her properly um, in a godly way and that I had gossiped about her and I had said some mean things to her, you know, because it didn't help that some of my buddies did some research on this and found some articles that said that food dropped on the floor is okay actually in five. So I'd, I'd throw that oh, in her oh, face, no. you know, and say, see, I'm right, you're wrong. Well, at the end of the day, we had to go through confession absolution. Mm-hmm. And what reconciliation ultimately is, is when both parties are willing to confess their sin and willing to forgive each other. And when that happens, then you can be reconciled with each other. And once you're reconciled, then you can start talking about how to resolve it. See, the problem is most people start with trying to resolve it first. They Uh think that that's the first step. And the first step isn't resolving it. Um, If you can reconcile, admit to how you've sinned against each other, confess that to each other, forgive each other, finding a solution or resolution to uh, the problem is much easier. Mm -hmm. But if you haven't reconciled, if you haven't confessed anything or forgave the sins that have taken place, it's going to be very difficult to find a resolution. So we have to practice that in our homes. Mm. And that's not an easy thing to do. I'll tell you another story that illustrates how this is not always easy, is that uh, we had just moved into a home, and it was our first home that we had actually purchased. And so we were going to put border up in the kids' room. And we put it on the top because we didn't want them to rip it off because border is expensive. I never knew how expensive it was. So we spent all this time to try to put it up, and we couldn't get it up. And we learned that, well, we had painted the wall, you see, but you need to let the wall cure before you put it up. So we had wasted border, et cetera. We finally got it up. It looked great. The kids, the boys picked it out. We had two, two boys were living uh, in the same room. And um, we put it on, on the top of the wall. So I come home one day, and my wife meets me and says, now don't get mad. <laughs> and, you know, that's just like, what do you mean, yeah, don't get mad? I'm already yeah. mad, and I don't even know what the <laughs> issue is. Well, we hadn't taken into consideration that they had a bunk bed in their room. And they got up on that top bunk bed and they pulled that border off oh, as no. far as they could. So I went upstairs and saw this and I was a volcano. I blew up. I was mad because it cost a lot of money to do this and here this had happened. And my son, I remember after I got done blowing up, he said to me, Dad, I think you have some things to repent of. Oh, how old was he at the time? <laughs> he probably was like 10 years old uh-huh. or something. They're learning, though. They're learning and because I, most families don't even talk about, I need to repent right, of my sin. Right. Yeah. So at that moment, I had a choice to make. Either I was going to tell him I have every right to be mad and I'm not going to repent, or I could choose to practice my faith and what I believe and say, you know, you're right, son. What I said and how I did it was wrong. Will you forgive me? And I think every family has that moment where they can choose how they're going to respond. You can choose by saying, I have a right to get mad or I have a right to sin against you and continue doing it because you started it anyway. Or you can choose to live in a godly way and say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And then he said he was sorry for what he had done. We, and we had reconciliation. Okay. If we would have done something different, if I would have mm-hmm. kept being mad and not actually confessed, you know, I'm the dad. So yeah, you, just gotta, you could say that. We would have went a different route, mm-hmm. and then that would have resulted in, in other things. Or as many do, it takes a while before they're willing to say, I'm sorry. That can happen too, mm-hmm. yeah. So you got to be patient. Yes. And it's okay to be patient and let people work on it. That's those all are, right. Those were great examples. So we need to learn how to say we're sorry. I repent. I'm I'm sorry I sinned against you. Uh, that Those are good examples for the home. And um, 
let's talk a little bit about uh, when conflict happens, either at work or in the church, just both places. No matter where we are, it's going to happen, and yeah. we need to learn how to deal with it. And when it's in the church or at work, they're not people we love. <laughs> right, so it, right, right. it might be a little bit harder. So talk a little bit about forgiveness in one of those settings. Yeah. It's even though it's a different setting, I think some of the same concepts are still there. And one of those is you you know, scripture says you got to be willing to take that log out of your eye mm-hmm. before you remove the speck from your neighbor's eye. And that's probably the one of the most difficult things to do. People don't want to acknowledge that they're sinners, they don't want to acknowledge they've contributed in some way. They can tell you how the other person has contributed. Yeah. So in a church, too, you know, when a church is in conflict, you have to think about what kind of a witness that's giving to the community. And so if a church can give a witness that they practice confession absolution amongst themselves, it's my belief I think more people will want to come to that church and be a part of what is going on. So a church itself can actually have a ministry or team of people who help others to practice reconciliation. Mm. We would set up teams within congregations, and the goal was at first we thought that was going to help the people inside the congregation when they had issues and conflict. And what happened was people outside the church started using their services because they have conflict like with marriages or bosses or neighbors, and they had specialized team who would go in and help them to realize how it is that they could reconcile this and move forward and find resolution with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's just a wonderful thing if you have people who are trained to do this in a congregation. And that's what congregations can really be a blessing to their community and also to their own congregational members. You bet. Uh, you talked about Matthew 7, 5, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Yes. And uh, Matthew eighteen fifteen to 17 kind of unpacks what God's Word tells us about how we deal with conflict. Maybe this would be a good time to talk a little bit about that. Right. So one of the things that we often do when we're upset with someone is we gossip and tell other people about it. But Scripture encourages us to go and talk to the person themselves. And it's usually a step we don't want to do, we Mm -hmm. don't do. But there's some reasons why it's important to go and talk to the person because it may be simply just a misunderstanding that you could clear up really quickly and you don't get other people involved with it. Um, But if you don't first look at how you've contributed, it can be difficult then to go and talk to someone else. Mm -hmm. It, It makes a huge difference if you approach someone and say, you know, I've sinned against you and I've done this and I'm sorry, will you forgive me? If you start off that way, they're more willing to to deal with their own sinfulness as well. Mm -hmm. If you approach them with, you know, you're wrong, you're terrible and you did this to me, well, they're probably not going to be as willing. So one of the things I have found is those, if you start off the conversation with gospel, with God's grace, Mm -hmm. with understanding your own sinfulness, the other, that changes the whole conversation, you see. And that's what really I think what Christ is doing and all that he's he's changing the conversation and encouraging us to do the same thing. Approach it from a different way and identifying your own sins, talk about them, confess them, receive forgiveness, and then you can do the same for the other person also. Right. And uh, in that first part of Matthew, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Uh, So it doesn't mean take a bunch of people along with you. And that, as you said, that is one of the hardest things 
for us to do, isn't it? And it doesn't say in there either, you should text everyone you know or put <laughs> it on Facebook yeah. <laughs> or blog about oh, it because what a- that's what's happening in today's world. They're doing a lot of that too. They blog and text and then everyone knows about it, you see, rather than do it in private. Right, right. I want to make a few announcements, then we'll come back and continue talking about reconciliation and forgiveness. Today, Family Shield is giving away the booklet, Regrets, Reality, and Restoration. To receive your complimentary booklet, call our response center at 1-877-250-8416 or email us at witness2family at gmail.com. Don't forget to give us your complete name and address. The Family Shield radio program is aired on 52 stations throughout the United States. Archives of past programs are available on the website at www.familyshieldministries.com. We also encourage our listeners to sign up to receive the monthly email newsletter that will keep you and your congregation informed about upcoming program topics and guests. And you can connect with us through Facebook. You can send comments, prayer requests, or support to Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. Uh, and uh, today we're talking with the Reverend Mark Rockabach of Concordia Seminary to learn more about the seminary, which trains pastors. We're going to talk a minute about that in, in just a few minutes. Go to their website at www.csl.edu. Now I want to go back to our program with uh, Reverend Rockabach. And uh, before we continue our discussion on reconciliation and forgiveness, uh, let I want to ask him just a little bit about Concordia Seminary. Some of our listeners may not know what Concordia Seminary mm-hmm. is or does. Tell us just briefly a little bit about it. Well, Concordia Seminary um, trains men to be pastors and women to be deaconess, and so they go through a program of four years where they take lots of different classes, lots of different subjects, and then after those years, and they are put into the church. So we just had call day recently Mm -hmm. where many of our men receive calls, and then um, we have also women who become deaconess in our church as well, and they serve uh, God's people. So Concordia Seminary's training up people to serve in the church is ultimately one of its main goals that it does. Okay. And you, what uh, classes, again, do you teach there? So I'm in the practical department. So I teach uh, pastoral ministry, pastoral counseling classes, pastoral theology classes um, to help them get a sense of how do you actually take some of the things that they're learning and put it into practice mm-hmm. and what it's going to look like and how to actually do it. That's great. That's great. And uh, one of the practical things I'm sure you teach, you mentioned that, is this reconciliation and forgiveness. Yeah. So there's an elective course that they can take on uh, conflict reconciliation and teach them about that. That's one of my favorite courses to teach, of course. Sounds like (laughs) it. Yeah. And it's so important. I mean, reconciliation gives us an opportunity to uh, glorify God, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. So we were kind of unpacking Matthew 18, 15 to 17 uh, right before the break. Let's continue talking about that. For the, so the first step is to go on a one-to-one basis. And you mentioned the importance of sharing the gospel first. Right. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? This is what I did. So we kind of have to prayerfully think about how did we participate? What did we do to cause this conflict? Right. And one of the things I learned in my research is that 
and this kind of goes with the next step of, of Matthew, if that doesn't work when you go, bring someone else along. One of the things that was encouraging by my research participants is when they got kind of stuck and didn't know what to do, they sought someone out to help them. And usually it was a pastor. So they go to their pastor. They go to someone and say, hey, I don't know what to do. And the pastor was very um, an important part of helping them, first of all, figure out their own sinfulness and help them to figure out how they go to the other person um, in order to con- confess their sins. So bringing someone else along isn't necessary. You bring someone else along so that that person can also kind of hammer on them how terrible they are. Usually the bringing someone else along is going to be, first of all, helpful to you to figure out what you've done or how you contribute and how you can respond to the other person. Um, Because ultimately at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is that those two parties be reconciled, Uh that there be confession, absolution uh, between both of them. However, reconcil- you can still forgive and not be reconciled. Right. So, like for example, the woman I started off with, um, there was never any reconciliation that took place between her and her husband's family because they didn't think they had done anything wrong. Right. However, she was able to forgive them even though there was no reconciliation. And that just impacted her life in such a, a much different way, you see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really important. But I think one of the other points is that sometimes people say, well, I went once. They didn't want to be reconciled or forgive. So I've done my job. But really, we should continue to be willing to go back or to try again. Right. And, and as I mentioned earlier, sometimes it takes a little time to go by before they're ready right. to forgive. Well, and if you think of reconciliation as not an event, but it's a lifestyle. It's a so it's how you live out your life. So even if they're unwilling, you're still going to live out your life in a way that you're going to do what you can. You know, scripture says, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace. Mm-hmm. So as far as it depends upon you, you try to reconcile with them. But some people may not be willing or they need you have to be patient or they need someone to help them out. Yeah, usually. That's true too. So if you're in a congregational setting, maybe the pastor goes and helps them out and talks to them as well and works toward uh, reconciliation. But being patient is the hard thing. We oh, want things hard. right now, we want to do you know, it now. Yeah. and sometimes it takes some years, you know, before um, they're able to get to that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what you were talking about, I'm just kind of reading the, some of the parts of Matthew 18. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So you mentioned that sometimes both sides might want a witness with them or someone to mentor them uh, and to help them see their own sin and maybe just to be there to say, you know, just kind of monitor and mediate a little bit. Would that be correct? Right. So when parties can't do it on their own, you can bring a third party in and that third party can mediate a conversation between the the two to help them to get to that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really helpful uh, to do. So in, in a sense, that's what marriage counseling is, Sure, is you're mediating is. between these two parties to help them to figure out how they've sinned against each other. If you can lead both of them to confess that sin, forgive each other, well, then you – so take the example of my wife and I. We're upset each other about food on the floor. Well, if we have someone else to help us figure that out, you see, we may need that at mm-hmm. times. And if in the earlier you can address those issues when they're small, the better off you are. Mm-hmm. A lot of divorces happen because of all those little issues that were never addressed, right. and they thought they were little. They never were reconciled. Um, but if you ha- if you live a lifestyle of reconciliation, 
you're going to work in such a way that that's going to be kind of the core of who you are, you see. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, the uh, and, and you kind of touched a little bit on uh, some of the ways people respond, the escape responses or the attack responses. But um, but we're just kind of trying to deal today with the appropriate responses. Right, right. So uh, what else then? Um, the, the last part of that, Matthew, says, and I don't think we ever really do this too much, but if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose in heaven shall be loosed in heaven, do we really ever do that? Because you mentioned your your friend, your the lady that had the farm. The reconciliation never totally happened for right. both sides, but she forgave. Yes, and that's the most important thing for us personally, isn't it? Right, right. And unfortunately, they didn't have that reconciliation that she wanted so badly. But who knows? In time, it maybe it would would happen. Yep. Um, when, when we talk about putting someone outside the church, normally that's in regards to like excommunication yeah. or something like that. We don't practice that too often. Some people want to go to that first. You know, it's <laughs> sure. kind of, they want to, let's just get rid of these they're people. They're not a Christian. Yeah. They did this to me. And, and the idea is they want to punish the other right. person. So their motive for doing it usually is wrong. Um, but when we put someone outside the church, or it usually means that we're going to now, con- it doesn't mean you get rid of them. It means you continue to care for them and serve them. Mm-hmm. You just do so in a different way, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. What other uh, important principles do we need to think about as we think about forgiving those that we're in conflict with? Well, remember, especially in the church, we are all children of the Heavenly Father. So we're baptized. And I think sometimes we forget that. We forget that we are baptized children of God. And if we remember our identity and who we are, I think that also helps us to know better how to relate to each other. So we should care for each other. We should love each other. And when, when we don't do that, then we usually claim a right to the particular sin that they're committing or we're committing, and that becomes the focus. So hopefully we can um, find a way then um, to be able to care for each other. Um, and you can do that by forgiving each other. That's mm-hmm. a way to care for one another is by forgiving each other. Good, good. Well, our time is just about up. Again, we've been talking about reconciliation and forgiveness. And forgiveness is ours through our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's important that we remember that. But we should also, as we're reconciled to Jesus Christ and forgiven through him, we also want to be in a good relationship with our loved ones, with our friends, with those we work with, and with our Christian members. But again, I want to mention that my guest is Reverend Mark Rockenbach, and this is Kay Meyer with Family Shield. Learn more about Family Shield at www.familyshieldministries.com. Thanks for listening, and we uh, encourage you to uh, listen again next week. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Family Shield.